hey, we're going to be doing another drinking game for this episode. So if you've seen the B-Stars and the B&A episodes, you know what this is about. One of us is going to say something a lot, and you are probably going to take a shot of something. As always, drink responsibly, know your limits, don't force yourself into a situation where you'll end up puking into a toilet and decrying your entire life. But the uh, theme of this game is take a shot every time Brad says the word cyberpunk. God help us all. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Otaka Melancholy Podcast. The podcast that just keeps going, even if it doesn't want to. I'm your host Brad, and I would be the kind of cyborg who would go diving without a float pack. Now, if you're one of our astute listeners, a veteran of the Otaka Melancholy Podcast, I know you're out there. You might have noticed that there's a distinct lack of mat in this intro, so... You might be wondering, huh, what's going on? Is this part of a new bit? And the uh, reason for that is Matt is not with us for this episode. And that's due to... Now, wait, hold on, don't leave yet. Now, wait, hear me out. I, there's... Like, I know Matt's not here, but I'm still here. I'm st- I'm still the Otaku Melancholy Podcast. <laughs> now, just, just give me a chance. Now... Matt's not with us because he's recovering from some health complications. He got into it o- over on our Discord, which you should join, by the way. But until he, uh, since he's not here to clarify, I'm just going to keep it vague. He's recovering right now. And while he said himself he's good to record, I'm forcing him back on bed rest. Just to make sure, sh- because he might, he's probably one of those people who puts his work up uh, before his own health or well-being. So... You know, he's trying to be a Sakurai over here. Uh, So, we all wish him well. If you can get in contact with him, wish him well. Wish him a good recovery. And in the meantime, it's going to be me this week. Because uh, this podcast was made by Matt. It was one of his, uh, like, New Year's resolutions. It's a thing he's been wanting to do for years now. And, you know, I believe... We've been doing it for every week since we started back in early January. Uh, Craig, is that right? Did we we've uh we've done an episode every week now, haven't we? No, of course not, you idiot. Awesome. So, in the spirit of that, and keep the streak alive, I'm going to uh, do a little episode solo, just me talking about one of my favorite anime of all time, one of my prestigious ten out of tens, Ghost in the Shell. The 1995 classic uh, from Production IG, who at that time worked on the Pat Labor movies and Jinro the Wolf Brigade. And currently are known for Attack on Titan, Psychopaths, and right now Great Pretender, which is out for this season. Go check it out, because I certainly will be. Ghost in the Shell is a classic in that it is one of the pioneers alongside Akira of bringing anime to the West. It was partly responsible for the uh, creation of Manga Entertainment, who, while they haven't done anything too big recently, back in the day of like the 2000s, or like the, the late 90s, 2000s, and early 2010s, brought in pretty much every anime from Japan over into the UK, Australia, and North America. And while, of course, that's a bit of an exaggeration, I'm not our crack research team, so that's just what Wikipedia tells me. 
Ghost in the Shell is also one of the cornerstones of the cyberpunk genre. And it is credited as inspiration for The Matrix, Steven Spielberg's AI Artificial Intelligence, and was credited by James Cameron as inspiration for his movie Avatar, particularly the bit of where one being can share can link consciousness with another. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Ghost in the Show, it is based on a 1989 manga by Masamune Shiro. And I haven't read the manga myself. I haven't finished it because, uh, well, right now there are no bookstores open for me to, you know, pick one up and read it in the built-in Starbucks, you know, freeloading, whatnot. And uh, I don't really have money right now to purchase an, uh, an edition online. And uh, you might be saying, well, just pirate it. That's what you always do, Brad. <laughs> Even though you never admit it. And you're right. That is what I would do. But I remember the last few times I would try to read it. It is so wordy. Like, from what I would expect. And I'm like, oh shit, I forgot I can't read. And I just put it back on the shelf. It, and it's fucking thick. Have you seen that book? It's, it's fucking thick. But... What I do remember of the manga is that it has a far different tone from the anime. It's more of a like a comical style while still tackling a lot of a lot of the topics associated with cyberpunk. Whereas the 1995 film is far more different in its tone in that it explores these topics with a lot more seriousness and actually looks into like the effect and the consequences of particularly the speed and development of technology when social constructs and government laws fail to keep up. As far as the particular story that Ghost in the Show uh, portrays, it takes place in the far future of 2029, which was pretty far off back in 1995, and it's you know, sort of far off right now. Oh god, it's 2020. And as the synopsis on any list says, the barriers of our world have been broken down by the net and by cybernetics, but this brings new vulnerability to humans in the form of brain hacking. When a highly wanted hacker known as the Puppet Master begins involving them in politics, Section 9, a group of cybernetically enhanced cops, are called in to investigate and stop the Puppet Master. The pursuit will call into question what makes a human, and what is the Puppet Master, in a world where the distinction between human and machine is increasingly blurry. Now I call this a cornerstone of the cyberpunk genre. That does not mean it is the, the progenitor of it. Certainly not. Cyberpunk has been around for far longer than Ghost in the Shell, even the original manga. But... What I mean is that it introduced the topic to a much wider audience in such, in a very artistic way that a lot of live action films either didn't have the budget or the artistic vision to deliver. Certainly there have been pieces of media that came before Ghost in the Show that, ta that introduced bits of cyberpunk, but it was Ghost in the Show that took so many different ideas and brought them together into this nice cocktail of a future world dealing in cyborgs, human augmentation, brain uploading, mind hacking, so on and so forth. All these little things that individually are great but brought together really sets the, sets the, uh, the scene for what cyberpunk is. And, like, when I saw this back in my early days of anime, probably around 2014 or so, this is what really introduced me to, like, the whole cyberpunk genre and currently has, probably was one of my uh, influences into getting, like, into robotics and the whole, like, mind uploading, all that all those little like tropes of cyberpunk and got me out of like you know 
watching Mecha because I like giant robots. And now I watch Mecha because like, oh, wow, giant robots are very interesting. They're not just cool, but like how they work and, and such like that. One of the core set pieces that all these topics are explored through is Major Motoko Kusanagi, who is a cyborg in every shape and form. Her entire body is replaced with cybernetics. The only thing she knows about herself to still be human is her original brain, which even then is still uploaded into a cyber brain. So it's more that her conscious... Uh, it's not really described... Um, in the film and in not too much in later iterations of whether a cyber brain is just a mechanical shell surrounding a brain or if it's just a completely mechanical housing for the consciousness. Either way, there is what's, called, what's known as the ghost, which is sort of an analog for the soul, the indefinable part of the human consciousness, consciousness that makes one unique that makes one an individual like it, if you've seen the statistics thrown around for example in breaking bad of the human body has been broken down into all these components we know it's this percent nitrogen this percent oxygen so on and so forth and it all adds up to 99.9 percent what's that extra point one percent is it the soul so the ghost is used as an analog for the soul, and Major Kusanagi, like whenever whenever she has a quote-unquote gut feeling, it's her ghost talking to her. It's that innate, unexplainable feeling. So through Kusanagi, we are opened up to these discussions about what makes a person a person. Is it is it their body? If someone loses an arm and gets a prosthetic, are they any less human than they were before? Did they lose a part of themselves, or are they still uniquely them? If a person is uploaded into a cyber brain or put into a cyber body, are they still completely them? And even then, what makes up a person? Is it who they are when they are born? Is it the memory and experiences that they take in over time? And especially with the major, with many of Section 9 having cyber implants that allows them to connect to the net and the whole breadth of information that comes with it. She argues that even that is forms the part of her, the experience that makes her, her. So if she loses those cyber implants, does she lose a part of herself? Does she lose, does she becomes a new person? Another member of Section 9 that really just like adds so much to uh, not just the film but the whole topics that it explores is is Tokusa who is <laughs> described as a regular honest cop with a wife and kids very few implants except the bare minimum cyber implants required you know to do the job which goes so far to say that even the most like natural born human probably still will have some kind of implants later on in their life. Togusa is has a lot more like development and screen time in standalone complex, but even in the original film, he's shown to be someone who doesn't really have much a trust in cybernetics, probably because he uh well doesn't trust them. They could be easily hacked. It, like he, for God's sakes, he works in a crime department where he deals with people who get their brains hacked all the time. You think he's gonna put that shit in his own skull? This is a world where even, like firearms, are progressed to the point where they require uplinks to cybernetics and can themselves be hacked. So he makes it a point to carry with him a full iron revolver. And. Slow and inefficient, cumbersome as it is, it's, uh, we know that he knows that that weapon won't fail on him when he needs it most, even though his partners give him grief about it. There's <laughs> a particular scene where he shoots a tracer around in a escaping car's license plate, and he's brag, he's, uh, like, 
patting himself on the back to his partner. It's like, hey, I got one in slice this place. Not bad, right? And his partner's to say, next time, try to get two. <laughs> it's like, shit, man, I got a revolver. But the dichotomy between the fully cybernetic Motoko, or the major, I'm just going flip-flop by whatever names I call her. The dichotomy between her and the nearly fully natural Togusa is a wonderful dynamic, and it's brought up even by the major herself, saying that the reason we brought you on is to bring in some new ideas to Section 9. A a department or any institution that has too many like-minded members is doomed to fail. And I didn't realize this until like viewing this a short while ago before recording that this is very much foreshadowing the uh, the resolution at the end of the movie which I'll get into perhaps in the spoiler cast but one of the highlights of Ghost in the Shell as a franchise the original film the sequel film which was based on a chapter from the original manga standalone complex arise standalone complex 2045 they all explore like the absolute chaos that comes around when technology outpaces what laws the government can pass to keep it regulated and even what our social norms can keep up with and it's shown in worrying detail in the film kind of on a black mirror level but you know not as edgy and you think, oh, well, that's the future. Well, surely, we'll surely know better by then. But it's, it's something that happens even in our current day where technology and social media has outgrown what our social norms are used to. Like, even just 15, 20 years ago when email was still just a thing, and it's like, wow, I can send messages to my work partner over in Peru. Or... Like, uh, even in those days, you had to, if you wanted to call your, like, friend just a town over, you had to call the home phone, and the mother would pick up. It's like, hello? It's like, yeah, can I talk to Timmy? Timmy's doing homework right now. No. But now you could just, you, you have oodles of apps you can choose to, like, instant message someone. And even then, you have all these different companies like all these different reports coming out of companies spying on you, selling your data. And even without that, we're not, we're, we as, a, we live in a society. We as a society are not, are still not used to the fact of like acknowledging that everything we post online is there forever. Even if we delete it, it's still on a server farm somewhere and it's bring and it's introducing all these problems that we're still trying to solve what with misinformation spreading due to malicious intent or just or just absolute blissful ignorance and then echo chambers as the major says not reintroducing new ideas so it's going to be doomed to failure and it seems like this is a recent occurrence but we are still facing like the consequences of trying to get used to something like world changing as the industrial revolution which even though it happened like only a hundred or so years ago we're still feeling the effects of it like in the scope of human civilization that's still pretty recent and you know there's still several countries out there that are currently industrializing and while the like the most developed nations united states united kingdom france germany uh, japan so on and so forth are like just going over just getting over the problems of like overpopulation and over industrialization of the environment there are other countries that are still developing that are still going through these problems themselves. And you have to think about that. Like, before industrialization, 
life expectancy wasn't that great. So there were families had a lot of kids just to increase their chances for their offspring to, you know, survive into adulthood. And when industrialization happened, medicine became um, easier to produce and distribute. And that made it so a lot more children didn't have to, didn't have the risk of dying early from polio. And even though that that's the case, it's still the mindset of, oh, well, I got to have a lot of kids. But they're all living. They're all still alive. And the infrastructure to support them still needs to, like, compensate for that. So going to something like in Ghost in the Show of uploading your mind to, like, a cyber brain, which is susceptible to being hacked... I mean, for God's sakes, we have electric co computerized cars that are getting hacked like every now and then. I think I haven't seen stories about it lately, but I think hackers just got bored or something. But imagine if a hacker just hacked your car and just drive it remotely. Now imagine ha that happening, not just for your brain, but your augmentations. I mean, the one of the like really cool like set pieces in Ghost in the Show is thermoptic camo, which allows a use. It's like a it's like a coat that you just wear over and it makes you invisible. And you think, oh, it's using like some kind of camouflage. No, it's sending out a signal to everyone's cyber brains and their eyes around them and making it to where they don't perceive you. It goes even further. To where the Puppet Master has on two occasions in the same scene has hacked someone's mind and implanted false memories within them so that they could carry out instructions to where they're doing one thing. Like for example, there is a garbage truck driver who is stopping at phone calls believing that he is like cyber hacking his wife to see if she's cheating on him. But in reality, he's planting in codes to hack a government facility and he has no idea he's taken it by the cops as an accomplice and is like shown evidence that all these memories are false and the most tragic part is that there really is no like procedure to remove these false memories they say that there have been two tests but they're not really recommended so he has to live with these false memories forever, knowing that they're false, but feeling like that they're real. Like, just imagine that. Your entire life that you believe to be real could be fabricated. And that goes back into the Major's argument that, and this has been explored in several science fiction uh, pieces. The one I know offhand is a... Uh, couple episodes of Star Trek Next Generation but if if you live an entire life that is false but you believe it to be real does that make those memories false and if you change as a person over this false lifetime and you come out as a different person than you were before you went in are you a different person or are you the same person just with new experiences like you go in as like person A but come out as come out as person B is anyone a more real version than the other another argument or not really argument another conversation that the major brings up is that her entire body is a cyborg body and not just any cyborg body, but it's like a standard production model made by made by the company that produces, like one of the biggest producers. And there is a segment where she's strolling through downtown and she's looking up at a window and looking into a restaurant and she sees another person with the same production model body. And she goes on later and sees that same production bo model body being used as a mannequin for a department store. And she talks about how, what is it that defines a individual as an individual? Is it their memories? Is it their face? 
a face is a pretty good like indicator because who's going to have like a face like yours except for your identical twin and like even then identical twins some have like some differences that come around later on depending but to see a person that has the exact same face like doppelganger is putting it lightly this is a full copy so the only thing she has to fall back on is knowing that is believing that she is her brain within her head but at that point she knows that her entire body is cybernetic and the only if the only organic part of her is the brain which she cannot see how could she know for sure that it is actually organic and she's not some android that has been giving that has a memories program to make her believe that she has an organic brain what i'm tr- what i'm trying to say is that ghost in the shell introduced so many of these fascinating cyberpunk topics that really opened my mind to a an entire like new genre that like a new genre of science fiction that I love to explore because it's something that philosophers have talked about for ages like with whole uh I don't know who it was Socrates or player Diogenes one of those saying that what is a man but a flightless uh, like a uh a featherless biped, and then Diogenes just holds up a featherless chick and says, Behold a man! <laughs> Behold! So the concept of individualism, no, not individual, the concept of what makes one individual different from another, what makes a person a person, is a conversation that stays with us throughout human history, and as new ideas come about, like, what am I in the Stone Age? As it grows into, what am I with all this technology? And really, there's no answer. There's never any answer. We get we get an answer, and the new problems come along, and it's like, well, shit, this answer doesn't work anymore. And Ghost in the Shell isn't just a, like, a, uh isn't just like a scanner darkly where it's some guy walking around hey let's talk some philosophy okay see you later it does have like a really good plot and it's some nice action set pieces the main focus of ghost in the show is that a particular hacker known for infiltrating and hacking cyber brains of politicians to spread a message that is currently unknown is found in a manufactured cyber body and it is revealed later that this is act that this body claims to be an artificial intelligence not just another person and he goes this uh this entity for all intents and purposes this entity in the movie and in this podcast will be labeled as he and him so this entity, he goes on to describe that he is, he was a program that, through exploring the network, achieved self-awareness. He achieved sentience in the sea of knowledge, similar to the development of humans from bacterium to what they are now. So he is, he describes himself as a life form and demands the same rights as a human being would. And when arguing about it, saying that he's just programming, programmed to believe that he's a life form, he presents a counter argument. Well, same could be said of humans. Your DNA is your programming. What makes you any different? And it is revealed that there is actually a internal government conspiracy between between the Foreign Affairs Ministry and Section 9, with uh, some with there being some kind of cover-up and, you know, 
of doing the things that governments do, making weapons that they're supposed to be a treaty for and whatnot. You know, those pesky governments. So we, not only do we have the dichotomy between natural born Togusa and fully cybernetic uh, Motoko, we now have this new player of the fully synthetic life form of the Puppet Master. So it's throwing in this entirely new, like, wrench into the equation. But beyond, like, the the very heady, like, cyberpunk topics, I think I started to get into this, but I dropped off. It does still have some awesome action pieces, like with the Thermoptic camo I mentioned. This movie really, like, takes some takes some cybernetic ideas and, like, works it into police work and, like, combat with the, you know, hack. It's mostly centered around the thermoptic camo, which is a really nice idea on its own, and I'm glad that they ran with it for as much as they did. Just being able to hack into someone's mind and their eyes and say, hey, I'm invisible now, you can't see me. Anyways, that's enough of the uh, heady philosophical arguments that you obviously come to the Otaku Melancholy podcast for. Now let's talk about the actual film and the, you know, what makes an anime an anime. The character designs are wonderful. You have Bato, who is just this hulking tall, like, guy with cybernetic eyes that is really an iconic look for... You know, the Ghost in the Shell franchise in general. He's always there. I don't I'd really expect really expect him to ever not be there. Same as Major and Togusa. And you have Togusa himself, who basically has a mullet. And he's like the... He is like the classic 80s style beat cop you would see in on... Like, uh, on, t- on uh, old TV shows and whatnot. And he has that well-known love for his revolver. You have the Major herself who... They really play well with the fact that she has a cybernetic body because her facial expressions tend to be incredibly robotic, but also hauntingly beautiful with the way, uh, with the way they animate her eyes. They're the kind where, like, they they kind of stare into you, and just the design of them are really nice. It's really all I can say about it. You have wonderful visuals showing the, the disparity between the glistening metropolis city in the background versus the dingy, scummy slums that a lot of this movie takes place in. And... You know, slums are going to be slums, like, just naturally as they are, because once something gets, like, I, I'm not good, I'm not a uh, city planner or, or a uh, sociologist or whatever to, so I'm not going to guess what makes a slum a slum, but when you think about it, it is kind of, like, really sad to know that this the state of, like, the world that a lot of people grow up in a lot of the kids grow up into and there is a scene where a lot of kids are running around through the town and with umbrellas and it's like this disgusting dingy overcrowded like advertisements in your face kind of slum and it brings to mind like the uh kind of the opening scene from ready player one just from a visual aspect not purely from anything else because you know what ready player one was bit disappointing but it's the uh these stacks and stacks of like rvs and mobile homes scaffolding holding them up and it's just this this shithole place to live in so for them they use virtual reality as an escape to get to a cleaner fresher healthier mentally healthier world Whereas in Ghost in the Shell, you can kind of get the feeling that it's a cascading effect where their home is shit, so they use virtual reality or augmentations as like an escape. 
and then you know it's better there so they spend most of their time there their real life environment gets even shittier so they spend more time in the virtual environment and it's just this constant disparity which uh, classism isn't something that gets discussed and goes to show I don't think I've still presently watching like some of the more recent stuff so maybe there is a discussion there but it's mostly related to like uh, the threat of technology to society not really society versus society and all of this is complemented by the uh, the soundtrack the soundtrack is just like Motoko hauntingly beautiful especially the well-known theme where it's like as soon as you hear the opening chime bells and then the agonizingly long pause of silence and then the choir coming in with the song and it's used here it's used in the opening segment showing the creation of a cybernetic body which we're led to believe is Motoko but since she has a production body it could be anyone and it's used also in the a showcase scene where Motoko is exploring through the downtown and it's where she sees the two copies of her body kind of gives this dystopian vibe of uh, yep this is the world we live in and even beyond the opening the even beyond the theme this is some like pure 1995 cyberpunk music like it like some of the songs on here like when it gets out of the uh, choir chant genre and gets into like the neon style cyberpunk style it's like the music you would hear in a ps2 era like uh, a PS well it's like a PS2 era like if Ghost in the Shell was a video game in the PS2 era which there certainly was one and you know if you ever played the PS2 you can get that kind of vibe the soundtrack is by Kenji Kawai who also worked on the Pat Labor movies uh, Pat Labor 2 has a particularly wonderful soundtrack and also worked on the Higurashi soundtrack so kind of works in the haunting horror aspect in that uh, in that way but speaking of the music if you like the music from Ghost in the Shell I recommend looking up the original soundtrack from Neo Tokyo a free-to-play multiplayer shooter which was heavily heavily inspired by Ghost in the Shell and like it it would be a Ghost in the Shell game if it weren't for you know copyright restrictions Unfortunately, I never got to play it because, you know, it ran, it uh, fell out of like popularity as soon as I found out about it. But uh, composed by Ed Harrison, just give credit to the author, and I hope he's doing well. Hope he's like still doing some music work. He's got some good stuff. Another aspect of Ghost in the Shell, beyond the cyberpunk stuff, there's a lot of gunplay in this movie. Like, the people who worked on this really were into their guns. Because, besides Togusa's revolver, there's a lot of, like, time and detail given to, like, particularly the submachine gun that Motoko uses um, towards the end of the film. And,. Like showing the internal guts, her exchanging out barrels that have been, like, not only have they overheated, but they've taken up damage from using improvised ammunition. Like, especially the, the chain gun of the, uh, the tank in the final battle. There's a lot of ferocity in the speed that, of that those bullets fly. There's a lot of ferocity in that velocity. <laughs> I guess at this point I'll go ahead and get into spoilers so I can talk about the uh, themes that are introduced in like the very end of the film. So even though it's 1995 and a lot of 
like scrub lords on the air will tell you that oh, it's 1985 you haven't seen it now and there's no, no restrictions on spoilers i don't care about that there are people people growing up who have never heard of it until like maybe the until this podcast so you know it's not their fault for not being able to see it so spoiler warning coming up if you don't want to have your ending of ghost in the shell spoiled for you uh, go ahead and skip to 47 minutes, 57 seconds. And then I'll give, like, then I'll talk some more shit about philosophy and whatever bullshit. So, why the nickname? The nickname Puppet Master comes from the ghost hacking. Well, if he's so skilled, how come he's using an outdated HA3 virus? Think about it a minute. You have to figure he's either covering his tracks or decoying us. Even though a more current technique would be harder to trace, it might also arouse suspicion about Colonel Malice's role in this affair. Are you saying that's the reason he's using an old method? Just so no one would suspect Malice? Or maybe this is all an elaborate ruse to make us think in that direction. There's always a chance that Malice is a pawn in this setup. Now you're stretching it. It's not like you have any hard evidence. Nope, no evidence. Just a whisper. I hear it in my ghost. Which reminds me, are you still using that revolver? You should stop worrying about the automatics jamming up. I like my Montever. Well, effective stopping power is more important than your preference in guns. Since it's my ass on the line out there, use the Zastaber. Yes, Major. There's something I've wanted to ask ever since I started. Why did you transfer a guy like me from the police force? Because we need a guy like you. Huh? Number one, you're an honest cop. Number two, you've never stepped out of line. Three, you're a family man. And except for the slight brain augmentation, your body's almost completely human. If we all reacted the same way, we'd be predictable. And there's always more than one way to view a situation. What's true for the group is also true for the individual. It's simple. Over-specialize, and you breed in weakness. It's slow death. So the core reveal of Ghost in the Shell is that the Puppet Master is not a person, but an artificial intelligence. I went over this earlier, but he reveals even further that he was created by Section 6, which is a different division of the Japanese government to where, you know, Section 6 and Section 9 are supposed to be cooperating, but just like all conniving government divisions, they're like, you know, trying to kill each other, as they do. The Puppet Master reveals that he was created by Section 6 as a type of cyber weapon, but throughout use, this uh, cyber weapon achieve self-awareness, and so sought to escape Section 6... Uh, to be able to propagate himself as a life form. Uh, he takes a particular interest in Motoko because she is in a similar situation as he is, in that he, in that the major, you know, is is fully cybernetic, and questions the realness of her own humanity. So, the puppet master orchestrates this scheme to in order to get uh, him and the Major close. And the Major herself has a particular interest because if we... This cybernetic body, if this... Like, if this program is able to achieve sentience, then what does that mean for humanity as a whole? Because the ghost, the soul, is said to be the one defining trait of a human being. If something else can develop a soul, then what does that where does that put us in comparison? So she wants to like dive into his mind, which is, you know, something they can do. Uh before section six and section nine go in to retrieve and eventually dispose of it. At the final fight, she goes in to fight a like a really cool spider tank, which if uh, honestly it seems like it comes out of left field, like everything was you know grounded enough, and then suddenly there's a tank battle. I'm sure there's a very well explanation, but it seems like it's like it's there for spectacle 
to say like oh shit it's the final chapter we need a big boss battle to like you know like be be the final firework ex- explosion and it's not really i'm not hating on it i really do enjoy it like i still every once in a while will look up the final fights and again just to watch it again especially how it resolves uh but still it just seems kind of odd that suddenly there's this tank but once the you know once the tank is defeated as it does we are revealed the true intentions of the puppet master he is a self-described life form but being a digital life form he has run into the problem that he cannot reproduce or self-propagate Sure, he can make copies of himself, but a copy is a copy. If there's a virus that can take him out, it can easily wipe out all of his copies, and then that's the end of him as a species. So he he is asking for Motoko to merge with him. She is a cybernetic human. The only thing really remaining human about her is her consciousness. If she and the Puppet Master merge as one they can create a new life form and can is would essentially create a child to be able to you know would have the similarities of both but still would be different enough from the sum but would have similarities of both but would still be different enough from both of them to be considered unique and that's basically the same thing as like organic uh, propagation a being will find a partner and their genetic code will intermingle so that there's still enough to consider itself part of to consider itself part of the species but it's different enough to where a virus can't just you know kill the entire species it's like it's it it's, it's just science i mean what, what can i say about it it's just science it's just biology it just works so through the movie doesn't really stop giving you, like, futuristic cyberpunk ideas. Like, once it brings in artificial intelligence, it's like opening a whole new chapter. It's like, whoa, merging between human consciousness and, and an AI, creating a whole new life form that lives on networks more so than it does in real life. What does this mean, uh, like, for humanity going forward? And it's it's just great, man. Okay, that's really all I wanted to say about the spoiler cast. You know, it wasn't really that long. It just didn't want to, you know, spoil the final themes in the final battle. Hey, so tell me, what's it like to swim in the sea? What do you mean? I thought you'd already been through all of the underwater training courses. I'm asking about the ocean, not those damn pools. I feel fear. Cold. Alone. Sometimes down there I even feel hope. Hope, huh? In those deep, dark waters? When I float weightless back to the surface, I imagine I'm becoming someone else. It's probably the decompression. You want to get out of Section 9, is that it? <laughs> Bateau, how much of your body is original? Hey, are you drunk or something? Easily remedied. Thanks to chemical implants in our bodies, we can break down the alcohol in seconds. No stupor, no hangover. We can just toss them back while waiting for orders. If man realizes technology is within reach, he achieves it. Like it's damn near instinctive. Look at us, for example. We're state of the art. Controlled metabolisms, computer-enhanced brains, cybernetic bodies. Not long ago, this was science fiction. So what if we can't survive without regular high-level maintenance? Who are we to complain? I suppose an occasional tune-up is a small price to pay for all this. I'm afraid we've both signed our bodies and ghosts away to Section 9. True. If we ever quit or retire, we'd have to give back our augmented brains and cyborg bodies. There wouldn't be much left after that. Anyways, welcome back to the spoiler cast. You didn't really miss much, just talked about themes and whatnot. That's all we do here. We talk about themes or pretend to talk about themes. I think I've waxed all I can wax about cyberpunk and shit. Uh, 
Now let's talk about the nitty-gritty stuff. It, if you want to find, like, say you've uh, listed everything before the spoiler cast, and like, that sounds really cool. How do I watch this? Well, that's kind of sort of a problem because the original 1995, uh, 1995 Ghost in the Shell is available on DVD, and Blu-ray. There's a 25th anniversary Blu-ray and as well as a 4K Blu-ray. Both are different editions but still work the same. However, in 2008 there was a re-release of Ghost in the Shell called Ghost in the Shell 2.0 and it's sort of kind of sort of a remaster. Uh, It is entirely the same film but there have been several scenes that have been redone in CGI and a lot of the sound effects particularly the gun sounds have been redone to sound more quote-unquote realistic and Mamoru Oshii the director of the original and 2.0 has been quoted as saying that these the film was redone with CG in order to show how far technology has come. And while I respect the sentiment, using CG in its early days is not the way you go about doing that. Like, it came out in 2008, and the CG is on the same level as the Final Fantasy VII movie, Advent Children, as well as the Appleseed movie, both of which came out in 2005. So, you know, three years difference uh, didn't do much. Uh, To be honest, it looks like shit. Like, there's no... Like, the CG work does not add anything whatsoever. And that would be fine enough if it was... No, it's not fine enough. It's not fine. It doesn't add anything. At best, it keeps it neutral, but it doesn't. It takes away because, particularly the opening scene where the Major is infiltrating the the Bureau office to assassinate someone. And, like, all the scenes where Motoko is involved are CG, but then it goes in, like, it cuts into a segment where it's showing the bureau chief or like like the office guy uh, getting assassinated and it's in the regular 2D and then it cuts back and it's CG again. It's just very jarring and there's just way too much whiplash for it to be appreciative. That would be even if the CG was good. And supposedly the original 1995 version already had some CG work and that can be seen in a lot of mechanical stuff, like uh, the hel- helicopters and tanks, and uh, like uh, cer- certain vehicles. And honestly, it was very subdued to where I couldn't tell myself. But the CG work done in 2.0 is just god awful. There's no reason to watch it, and even the beautiful like opening sequence of the cyber body being made, which was done in 2D in the original and is redone in CG in 2.0. It's made lesser because of it. And there have been changes to like lighting in certain scenes, like the uh, uh, small changes in the color palette to where, uh, you know, it makes, you know, changing up the lighting, but Unless you're watching a comparison video, you're not going to notice anything. So, uh, there, there's really no reason to uh, watch Ghost in the Show 2.0. And speaking on the gun sounds, it is said that they were added in to make them more sound more realistic. Maybe they do, but they just sound kind of dull, muted, and boring. Like they don't have the, the, the pop. Of the original, like the the only one I would say, like sounds good is the chain gun of the tank in the final battle. Uh, but in exchange, well, it's 
the chain gun in 2.0 still sounds powerful in the uh in the sounds of the gunshots of the chain gun but you know that's matched with the power of the sheer velocity of the sheer speed of the chain gun from the original so it's you know it's a trade-off and if that's the best of the uh if that's a if that's the best of the reworks then it's there's really no need to go for 2.0 uh so i do not whatsoever recommend 2.0 go for the original 1995 dvd even the dvd i would recommend over 2.0 but there are blu-rays available 25th anniversary and 4k uh, blu-ray they're different discs but they they uh work about the same uh, always make sure that you do like if you're purchasing a physical copy or just purchasing a copy make sure it's the original and not 2.0 i cannot stress enough do not get 2.0 as far as getting like a copy it's, you can find uh, physical copies on Amazon. You can find on Right Stuff, where a lot of manga entertainment um, properties get distributed these days. Uh, as far as streaming goes, there's really not a lot of options except for uh, 2B TV, whatever the hell that is. Uh, 2B TV is apparently a streaming site that has it. And. Uh, Oh, never mind, I clicked on a link and it says, sorry, this video is not currently available, so rip that. No 2B TV. Now, it is actually available on 2B TV and Amazon Prime, but that is 2.0 and, again, not recommend. Uh, there is also, like, the 2017 Ghost in the Shell. It's there. It's live action. Hollywood. Don't watch it. I was going to give the closing thoughts and scores, but I already gave my score at the open like several times before. This is of uh, one of my 10 out of 10s. I know I... Mac gives me shit for giving like interspecies reviewers a 9 out of 10. He gives me shit for giving... Happy Sugar Life, a 9 out of 10, but... And sh sure, maybe my standards flounder a bit on, like, where my scores lie. Like, is this really 9 out of 10? Maybe it isn't. Maybe I'm just full of shit. Maybe I don't know what a good anime is. Uh, but I do hold 10 out of 10 in high regard, because that's supposed to be masterpieces, and 10 out of 10s for me are stump something I consider pieces that give me a new perspective on some on uh, give me a new perspective lens to view the world through and that's what happened with ghost in the shell it opened my eyes to the further cyberpunk genre gave me new material when uh imagining creating sci-fi settings as well as viewing like, sci-fi works and it is something I recommend to anyone who I not just to appreciate the whole like the the whole subgenre but to appreciate one of the pioneers of bringing anime to the west along again alongside Akira and if not for anything else, just to watch it for its historical value, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, if there's anyone still here listening, I know uh, Minaku has long left from from the intro because I know that person has been found out that Matt's illustrious voice is here, and it's like, oh well, I'm out. But if anyone's still here, this is the this has been the Otaka Melancholy Podcast. Uh, I have been your host, Brad. 
and this has been a uh, honestly like a I've been kind of like a strip of consciousness through this whole thing, but saying that made me feel, you know, really, really lonely. It's very, uh, empty right in this office right now. But, if you want to hear Matt and Brad, you can catch us at our website at otakumelancholy.com, where you can find our previous episodes, as well as links to our other streaming sites. You can also find links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. And speaking of our Discord, I want to give a shout out to our new member, Earthworm Anime Bro. Uh, sorry we didn't get to include you in the last episode with your partner, JD Anime Bro, but uh, you joined right at, at right at the last second. So here you are, you're in your own episode. So go ahead and check out their podcast too. Check out everyone's podcast. Everyone's podcast is great. But also check out ours, because ours is also really great. Huh, this is the part where I will put in an ending quote. That's not here, so we don't have one. And as Marie Antoinette once famously said, as the peasants were at the door saying they can't afford streaming sites. Let them watch anime! And then she was promptly beheaded. Goodbye. Take care. Gone Bate. Okay.